Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast, where a die is cast to decide what genre of the movie we're going to discuss, and we also do interviews too. And today we're doing a movie discuss a movie discussion, The Razor's Edge from 1946. I'm going to be joined by Reber Clark. I hope everybody enjoys it. And to get us into the mood for the discussion, we're going to listen to a little bit of Alfred Newman's score. The opening titles for The Razor's Edge. And after that, Reber and I will start in our discussion. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast. And today we're doing a movie discussion where um, Reber Clark, who's been on the show before a couple of times, once as an interviewer, I'm an interviewee, and one time as we talked about a movie. And now we're on our second movie, and this time we rolled drama, and Reber picked the 1946 classic, The Razor's Edge. How are you doing today, Reber? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing wonderful, and I want to start right off to say, Alistair and I, thank you again so much for allowing us to use some of your audio for our opening in the Hammerama episodes. We just, we appreciate that so much. You're welcome. Anytime. It's a great podcast. Anything I can do to support it, that'd be great. I'd, I'd be glad to. Oh, it, it helps. It helps augment it right off the bat to get that little hammer vibe. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. And, and you've, you, have, you have a lot of soundtracks out there you know and different things and one of them that just came out is the insmouth school for girls that's right what can you tell us joshua about that kennedy's, joshua kennedy's latest and maybe the last covid production we think since covid has seemed to wane a little bit he did three or four that were kind of during the covid pandemic and uh, so the editing got real creative but um, yeah, it's a it's supposedly based on an H.P. Lovecraft story called The Shadow Over Innsmouth. Um, but this takes place years later at a girls' school in that town, and kind of what happens when a new, uh, I guess you'd say, recruit comes and uh, starts at the school. 
she finds all kinds of mysterious things going on, and of course she investigates, and you know, mayhem ensues. <laughs> <laughs> and for for listeners that want to see the movie, it you can do it one of two ways. You can buy it at oldies.com, and you can see it streaming where? Do you remember? I think it might be on Amazon Prime. I believe so, sure too. If, so we'll do, so not sure if it's there yet. Yeah. Um, I know some of his previous ones are. Um, Cowgirls versus Pterodactyls is there, and so is uh, Saturnalia. So I'm just looking it up right now. <laughs> yes, it's available on Prime Video for $2.99 to rent. There you go. So you can you can rent it, you can buy it, you can also get the soundtrack from Reber, you can get the digital version, or you can do like I did and go old school and get the digital version and the CD copy, the limited edition CD copy. Right. <laughs> it was an experiment this time for me. I was using new software, new approach to uh, putting soundtracks together. Part of it was successful, part of it I didn't think so, but uh, I think it's still effective. And where can people go to get your music? You can either go to reberclark.com, that's R-E-B-E-R-C-L-A-R-K.com, or go to bandcamp.com and just look up my name, Reber Clark. And listeners, because if I was going to give you the, if I was going to give you the whole address, it'd be it'd take me fifteen minutes. <laughs> and listeners, the whole address, Reber Clark. Yeah, it's reberclark.bandcamp.com. And for listeners, I'll have that in the show notes so you can just click on the Bandcamp oh. thing because we usually put that on every Hammerama episode anyway, you know, to, to, that way people can hopefully go there and get your music because you you have tons of soundtracks on there, different um, inspirational composers, you know, because some of them it's the Hammer music, you're, you're you know, influenced from there. Some of it is Italian spaghetti Western influences. It depends with genre. Right. I'm trying to be flexible. My composition teacher always said flexibility is money. And he was right. I just, you know, the more kind of styles I can do, some would argue, well, more successfully, less successfully, but more, more things like that and different ensembles I can use the, uh, you know, the longer I can be in business. Oh, exactly. And I enjoy your music. So, I mean, it's just, it, it works Thank for you. me. So it's, I've, I've gotten several of your digital Things and like I said, thanks again for helping us with Hammerama so much. We sure. Have, but now I love all those James Bernard, old James Bernard scores, and uh, it's fun to to do stuff in that in that style. In fact, we're working on another one now called Out the Hour of Shadows, and it is straight ahead romantic uh, uh, hammer horror type type thing. It's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, a little behind the scenes. So you may be the first one to hear about this. <laughs> a little behind the scenes. Some people, well, it's always good to, to throw some breadcrumbs down. So people are like, Oh, we want more, you know, and you, you always yeah. got to tease yeah, them a this little. Is, this will is, be after all the COVID restrictions, you know, and having to shoot around things. And, and, uh, so it should be more like the, um, uh, his more can, like his older work that that is uh, you know ready to go. Yeah, awesome. I'm looking forward to yeah. it. And oh, good. Also, what I'm looking forward to is talking to you about the Razor's Edge. Now you had seen it, 
when you were a lad and you watched it again recently, I saw it for the first time this week and um, I really enjoyed it. It, it was, it was my first time watching it and I really had a good time with it. Uh, obviously good, good. We'll, we're going to compare your first experience with your current experience in a, in a minute, but why did you pick this movie? Because um, there are so many dramas. I think we rolled comedy and or drama, and uh, it's just the first one that came to mind. Uh, I'm trying to get Josh Kennedy to watch it. He hasn't, I don't believe he's seen it yet. Um, I think it's really a younger person's movie. Uh, I saw it when I was younger, and I really needed it at the time to kind of confirm some ideas that I had. Um, but I, I watched it last night just to refresh my memory. And, uh, yeah, it's still good. It's got the right idea. But, uh, you know, what am I, almost 70? And so I've had some experiences. And uh, watching it was like, oh, yeah, I remember when I was, like, in my 20s. I, I could have used this. So, yeah, it was okay. The pacing is slower because it is, what, 1946 or something? Yes. But how can you not love Gene Tierney and, and, uh, and you know, and especially uh, Clifton Webb? And uh, just a, a great characters, you know. Oh, well, and uh, <laughs> yeah, just all of them, all the actors. Oh, we'll go over them in, in a little bit and, and that kind of sure. stuff. But it's interesting, like you said, you look at it as a young person's movie because this, this movie, I, I really felt, I mean, you could look at it that way, but I think it's a movie everybody, <coughs> I think it's a movie everybody should watch once at least. Yeah. And I don't know if it mattered as much so. if you're younger or older. I think it's that first time you watch it because it does have a man on a journey to learn the meaning of life, so to speak. You know, what is the meaning of his yeah, life? He, he, gets, he gets back from the war. He's seen a lot of death, saw his best friend blown up right in front of him and is just questioning everything. And everybody wants him to go into business. And he says, you know, I – you know, business is fine, but I've seen so much of this other stuff. I want to really find out what's going on. You know, what what is everything about? I don't know if it's a uh, search for a meaning of life. It's I think it might be a uh, search for uh, an experience of being alive, which is different. And I think a lot of people think that they're looking for a meaning for life when really they're thinking, I want an experience of being alive because this is the place to get it. Because, you know, before you're born, that's, a great silence. And when you die, there's another silence and nobody knows the two silences at the edges of being and being is the only place you get the experience. So that's, I didn't mean to start preaching there, but, <laughs> well, <laughs> but uh, there think, you go. I think it's anybody's like a lot of people will have different interpretations. When I look at it as the meaning of life, the meaning of his life, his existence, his um, path. And really when he's going through that journey, that is the thing he has to find out and to come at peace with himself. But as he learns, he doesn't find an answer. He just finds more clarity in his, and that the journey is ongoing. Basically it's a journey all the way through to the, to the end of your existence. And, um, that kind yeah, of stuff. yeah, that, I think that's right. I think that's right. And I think they handled it really well. And the contrast between society and then the person who wants to think, well, society's okay. And all its real rules are fine. And, you know, it kind of maintains itself, but there's got to be more. And and he doesn't do it through excess, like one of the characters has an alcohol problem. Uh, uh, and she is kind of trying to hide and 
you know, she's looking for something, but in the wrong way. And it's kind of how that all plays out. I think a lot of the uh, characters, a lot of the main characters are looking for things in the wrong way, the wrong direction. I think that's the way the movie shows it. Cause he's, they're all questioning him doing this path. Why do you have to do all this? Yeah. Why not just do this and this? You should have to be forced. And he's like, well, I make enough money to sustain myself to do this. It's not like it won't be, it won't be rich. Like the, like the people that he's dealing with, a lot of them are from the upper class. Um, some are from yeah. the middle class uh, and that kind of thing. He'd be, he'd be like lower middle class, I think with his wealth index. Cause I, he was saying how he made, um, I think $3,000 a year. And this, of course, is nine. This is supposed to be 1919 because it was taking place after World War One when he came back. Right. When he said That's that, because right. it, it goes it, it goes over 12, 13 years of of time, and I put that yeah. in the in the inflation index to say what would three thousand dollars in 1919 a year be today, and it would be about fifty five and a half thousand dollars. So he would be yeah. middle class, you know, maybe on the lower side, yeah. depending on where he lives. They don't ever really explain where that money came from, but I figure it's an, an inheritance of some kind. Yeah. So, and uh, yeah, and it must be he must have had it in a you know risk-free situation because when the 1929 crash comes, he's still walking around, still doing fine. So, but it may be money because of the money, or maybe might be just because he said, "Man, eh, I'll be fine," and he, he is. Yeah. Yeah. He has that. He has that natural pluck, you know, or character, you know, where it's just it's, things will hit him, and more, he just finds a way to persevere. Yeah. yeah, but I think he gained that natural pluck. I think he gained it through seeing so much death and saying, you know, this could be me. This could be me in a second. What the hell am I doing? You know. So let's find out. Let's go explore some stuff because otherwise, I mean, we I'd be dead. So. Yeah, and, for those and uh, his friend, the story in the story, his friend has sacrificed himself in the war for him, and he was, you know, he was thinking, how can he do that? What am I here for? That kind of thing. So, yeah. And for listeners wondering, the character we're talking about is Larry Daryl, played by wonderfully by Tyrone Power. That's right. I think so. And there's a Bill Murray movie, a remake of this, uh, which is fine, but I didn't. I don't get the same oomph out of it that. Uh, and I love Bill Murray. Don't get me wrong; he's great. But uh, this this version really, really, really gets you, in my opinion. So, yeah, yeah. I can't talk about the Bill and Murray version because I haven't seen it yet. But having seen mm -hmm. this, it's a lot of times when you see something that's a remake, um, you're always are going to compare the two. I, so maybe if I would have saw the <laughs> yeah. other, you know, you never, you know, if like if you see one before the other, that's the way you know you're comparing it from that yeah. angle. That's why. I I try to push the original as much as I can. I mean, the Bill Murray one's fine, but uh, it just doesn't have the punch that this one had for me. Well, I can also yeah. put it this way. The, 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 the Razor's Edge in 1946 was a really big box office success, and the Bill Murray 84 one, I think it was in the mid-'80s, uh, that was a box office yeah. failure. It didn't. It made half the money that it it made back half the money it cost to make it. The, the budget, it made only wow. half its budget. $16 million budget, I think yeah. it made $8 million. So not counting, not counting advertisement and everything else. So that was definitely a audience did not the audiences did not care for it. Yeah, I I didn't. It wasn't terrible. It just kind of missed the point. So 
we can talk about that movie another day. <laughs> yeah, and that's all right. I, mean, I can't really talk much more about it anyway, so it's... Right. But this one, I think we pretty much gave everybody the idea of the plot. That's the basic plot right there. Yeah, and, yeah, there's a lot of different stuff, though, the people he meets and all the different experiences he has, and uh, you know, when he ends up in... Uh, well, they say it's India, but I think it's Tibet. <laughs> but uh, And talks to the people there. And they're just kind of laid back and, and have uh, figured out some things. And it's a very calm situation and a very, very nice, uh, easy, undistracting way to live. And that's, as I was gonna say, there's you know. multiple storylines going through. And that, that's the main yeah. one that carries through it. The second main story plot is he had a fiance, Isabel Bradley, played by Gene, is it Tyranny or Tyranny? I always say Tierney. I see Tierney. Uh, Tierney. Tierney. Okay. Like a tear. T-I-E-R. Tier. Tierney. Yeah, Tierney. And also, she does a great job playing the role of Isabel. Oh, boy, does she? And Isabel oh, wow. is this yeah. infatuated with yeah. him, wants to marry him, wants him to start working to get money, wants him to do all this stuff. And when the engagement gets broken off, but he says, no, I'm going to pursue this, but we can live on three thousand dollars a year and she's like well you can but i can't i'm used to luxury and existence and i don't want to live that way especially if we have children so she breaks off the engagement and but yet she still loves him yeah and how that goes he he wants to when he she asked what are you going to do in paris he says i don't know maybe loaf (laughs) and I know, I know that. I know that uh, that feeling, and uh, she it just flies all over her. She can't stand the idea of that. Uh, yeah, she's very money oriented, very society oriented, uh, and boy, when she plays, when she flashes those eyes and, and is all flirty and everything, she's great. But then she has this dead eye look too when she's uh, oh boy, she's re- she's really great. Really, the actress is really fantastic in this role. Because she can get this flat stare going that is just, it's just chilling. <laughs> oh, it, it is. It is. Because that's, that's most of the second half of the movie, the scenes that she's in. You don't see it much in the first half. But No. And then the sub, and then the main subplot would be, I think, Sophie McDonald and Baxter's character where um, she gets married. Her husband and child are killed in a car accident. She survives, which leads her to take a downward turn in alcoholism, which you referenced earlier, and how you re-encounter her character in different spots of her life. And, I, yeah. and it actually happens of all the characters because it's like the time plot, the timeline, they don't really like put the year up where you're at, but you can figure it out in dialogue where they must be, or some of them have children and are at a certain age, so you figure out at least so many years have passed. But I think oh, those yeah. are the three main I think um, storylines to two main ones being with Larry and Isabel and then the, the, the top secondary one being Sophie. Yeah. And Larry ends up marrying Sophie at one point. Uh, are they almost married? They were engaged. They never got married that, because of Isabel. Yeah. Right. Which will, oh boy. Was, I think, I think let's cover that now. That was. Boy, you really get the cruelty. You really get the cruelty in Isabel. Uh, when she leaves the Persovka, which I looked up, I think it's a, it's a Russian, he says liqueur in the movie, but I think it's a type of vodka. 
but I don't know. Did you do some research on that? I have I, so, my knowledge of spirits is zero. I've never drank, so <laughs> I'm, okay. the, I'm the well, last I'm, person to answer I'm, those questions. I'm not going to seek it out, but uh, you know, uh, Clifton Webb describes it as like listening to music by moonlight, and that's the kind of thing that. That and Isabel's cruelty really drive Sophie back back to alcohol, and, and just and maybe opium. When you know that opium den thing, I'm not. They didn't show her smoking it or anything, but uh, anyway. Yeah, I thought that too. And, I don't know. And for listeners wondering, yeah. what happens is when they reencounter Sophie, all of them took, are at Paris, and somehow Sophie got there, and 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 you wonder what kind of life she's been living because she's now changed from this bubbly person, all happy to this is when you first see her after, I don't know, 10 years or whatever. And she is taking the hard turn. She is yeah. an alcohol, hard men. Um, it's just, just yeah, basically it's not working for her. <laughs> but Larry is able to help get her from the bottle and where she in a month and then the movie time it's like a second, but in, in, in the time frame is like a month has passed and she has not had a drop. And Isabel yeah, is so disdainful. She has a real tenuous hold on it. She's on her sobriety. She has a you can tell she's kind of in that transition where she could go either way, but she's been sober for like you said, like a month or so. Yeah. And when Isabel finds out that Larry is engaged to Sophie and she wants Larry to herself, yet she's already married with two children, but she wants yeah. Larry almost like as a side, um, you know, relationship. <laughs> she can't get out of the fantasy that she's had. And um, that's another, it's actually kind of like, is like a Sophie. It's kind of an addiction to her fantasy. And uh, she's just not able to break out of it. So that's her, her downfall, you know, not being flexible, not, uh, not seeing things kind of as they are. So, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, Larry keeps talking about becoming clear and, uh, or in his mind, his ideas become uh, a little more focused and clear. And uh, that's what both people are having trouble with, or a lot of them, even uh, Gray, Maturin, um, having trouble with the, losing the money in the crash. And Larry helps him out. Yeah. Shows him how to get rid of his own problems. Yeah. yeah. Cause Larry doesn't do it. He just kind of shows him how to do it. Yeah, Cause everybody's so, giving him credit yeah. saying, Oh, you healed him. He's like, no, he healed himself. I just, <laughs> I just helped him yeah. with learning how to do yeah. it. And, uh, yeah, just focus. Just, uh, yeah. Do a different thing. I don't know if you can hear that. There's a dove or something sitting on my windowsill. Well, Woo-hoo. <laughs> We'll, oh, just, well, we'll just look whatever. at it as nice ambient noise. You know, we get, every so often we get the yeah. dove, the dove coo. Sure. Sure. <laughs> but it's, so, yeah. John so Payne plays, movie. John Payne plays great so well. And really, he, his, his character doesn't have an arc. He kind of, he's kind of stays the same. I mean, he, things happen to him, yeah. but he seems to be the same type of character all the way for a good guy. Because he wanted to marry, he wanted to have a relationship with Isabel, but he knew that Larry and her were engaged, so he never yeah. pushed it or whatever. And when the relationship got broken off, then he was able to pursue it, and that's when they got married. But he was always this good character. Yes, he was doing things in the stock market and trying to make money and those kind of things, but he seemed to be a nice guy, 
a guy who was doing yeah. it for the right reason and just married somebody who ended up having um, a, a dark turn. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think she'd been dark since the beginning, but um, it's hard to see until we get to know her. And Gray, I think he's one of those guys that on the out. I mean, he's a good guy, no question. But when the when stuff happened to him, when the crash happened and he lost his money, everything, he, those guys live a big internal life that nobody ever sees. And that's why he was having the headaches and all the problems that Larry was able to help him deal with. So um, there, I know guys like Greg, and I think they have an internal life that's pretty intense, but we, you just don't see it because on the outside, they're just very cool and balanced. But uh, that's, you know, that's what happens. Yeah, and he it, internalized everything, drew, drove all of that angst and all of those problems inside, and so his body said, "We don't like this, so it's going to hurt." <laughs> I think they, that happens a lot. They had no um, coping mechanism, so to speak, and I think that's what Larry right. taught them how to how to yeah. release the stress. I think so. I think so. Yeah, and it's it's really pretty simple uh, what Larry did, you know. So that's that's good. Well, there's a lot of cases. We'll leave it up to the leave it up to the audience to figure out what that was. Yeah. In a lot of cases, <laughs> the the solutions are simple. In some cases, it's just hard to see when you're in the midst of the issue. Oh, I, yeah. It's always good to be a backseat driver and say, "Oh, you should have did this and this." But in the heat of the moment, <laughs> or when you're going through the the bad stuff, it, it can be very murky to see that 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 simple little thing. In hindsight, yeah. you know what you can do, and that kind of, and that kind of thing. And some people, yeah, some people like correct. to be um, troubled. That's true. That's true. You know, it's uh, some people's uh, whatever they're hanging on to. They hang on to stuff. I'm sure I hang on to stuff, but uh, yeah, let it go. It's okay. Just let it go. What's going to happen? <laughs> exactly. And- you know. But I was going to say, the scene, though, where Isabel sets up Sophie for the relapse. Oh, man, yeah. It was so dark. But there was one moment you can tell where where Isabel was thinking, should I go for it? When she had the the household servant, the butler or whatever, take the big tray of alcohol out of the room. And you could see her pause looking at that bottle that she had put there. And had yeah. set up with the gla- with the, all the liquor already poured into the glass, and you can see for that second the look at she that Jean Tierney did so well her train. Should I do this or shouldn't I? It was almost like the good angel and the bad angel. Like the, I mean, not the yeah. bad angel, but the devil and the angel on her shoulders talking. No, I know what you mean? Well, and, devil, bad angel, same thing. I mean, he was cast out and all that stuff. So yeah, I yeah. get it. <laughs> and and so it was like. She could have, her path could have changed her as a character. If she would have taken it with her, she would have been redeemable, but she decided to go with the other part. Like, Oh, I'll just leave it there. And then she had no remorse about it at all because she says it later in the movie. And it was just like, Oh, that's just the way she always was. She was just, and it's, and these two, these two used to be best friends and it was just so dark. Apparently. Yeah. But uh, yeah, she's a killer. She's, she's just a killer at heart. A lot of a lot of money people are, but then there's I've met so many, uh, quite a few people with money that are just the best people I've ever met. So it's really not the money. I think it might be the love of the money, um, or something that that causes that. 
you know. So I don't know, but that's one of those life decisions that we make every once in a while, and it affects all kinds of stuff down the road. Oh, exactly. exactly. And I think with her character, she was so pampered all through her life that even when her husband lost all of his money due to stock thing, her uncle, Elliot Templeton, basically survived it because of, well, let's say it was probably some back, you know, backside, what is it, what, what do you call it? Um, backdoor trading or whatever. It's, it's, we get I don't it from know. Uh, yeah. Somebody it, in Europe told him to get out of the American market and he did, and he was glad that he did. Yeah, insider, I remember that. They were in, yeah. Insider yeah. trading. That's what I was looking at. I think he got some insider oh. trading information, like you just mentioned, yeah. and got out with his money intact. Yep. Could be. Could be. And what a great character. Oh. You know, you, you hate him, but you just watch him doing the character, and it's like, oh, this is great. <laughs> Clifton you know, Webb was awesome. <laughs> he, yeah, he turns out to be okay. He's just got his way of dealing with stuff. Um. He when he's dying, there's some great stuff when he's dying <laughs> uh, in bed about the lady who didn't invite him to her party, the princess or whatever. Yeah, and uh, then Larry takes care of getting him an invitation, and it's uh, it's really nice. And Elsa Lanchester, um, her scene as like the secretary or whatever, she's only in there for three or four minutes, but she just steals that entire thing for me. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, she, she was, Miss Elliot was, was amazing. Cause she was in, a, 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 she had one line in the restaurant scene where she gets kind of introduced when she goes, Larry goes, Oh, how you doing Miss Elliot? And then you see her proper when he goes to the office to get the invitation. I don't remember seeing her in the restaurant. It was very no brief. Kidding. It was very brief. He says, they talk, they, she, he goes, hi, Miss Ellie. I think she says a line, like, how you doing, Larry? And then it just proceeds, because she's there with the princess. Wow. And the princess is getting ready to leave at, at the restaurant, which was a couple of scenes prior to that one. Oh, I'm going to have to go back and look at that. I can't believe I missed that. Or I don't remember it anyway. Yeah, it, it happens quickly. Yeah, wow. It happens quickly. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Huh. But, yeah, I'll check that out. Yeah, so she was in, so she was at least in two scenes, but one of them it, it, it was like a quick, brief, boom, blink you miss yeah. it type of thing. But there is a little dialogue there. But Clifton yeah. Webb's character, you talk about somebody yeah. who just who's just owning the dialogue, <laughs> owning the performance. Yeah. I loved him when he was at the um, the, the clothes store, getting his outfit and the right. way he was and just his ties and his stuff and having his monogram taken off his leg and put up by his waist because he wasn't a, an Olympic runner or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was great. He was really good, really good. And I, you, you probably know people like that. I know people like that. They're basically good, but boy, they're they are just as snooty as hell. You know, it's so funny. But yeah, He was proud know, as a peacock. He was proud as a peacock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The tassel has That's to right. bounce lower. It can't be up here. It's got to be down here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's what mattered to him. That's, that's his whole thing. Wow. And, and, but he did. He, he, he's okay. He was all right. I liked him. But Just having, watching him. I, I loved watching the character. <laughs> oh, and, and, and it makes you wonder, like, when he helped Isabel out and he was helping his sister out, 
Was he doing it for the goodness of his heart or was he doing it because he didn't want society to think he was related to people that were beneath them? You know, it's, it makes you wonder deeper in the character. What was his real motivation? Was it really yeah, goodness or was it really I like it was, I got to, I think it was, I think it was to help him out because that's what you do. I don't think it was to gain anything. Well, not the game, but not to lose social status. Right. But in his society, people take care of their own, I guess you would say. And so he was just, he was kind of a guy all about obligation. And uh, that's what you're obliged to do, I would think. So is it cold or is it heartfelt? Mm, that That is why it's an interesting character. We don't know. Exactly. Yeah. And what I love about it is he stays the way all the way through to the bitter end. And, yeah. and what I love about <laughs> Larry wants to help him. Unlike other characters, Larry never goes in the room when he gets that invitation, you know, that was brought right. in by the, the Butler and yep. then, and so, and, and another character reads it to him and, and he knows who got that invitation, never really says anything because Larry didn't care about the credit or the others that he just wanted right. to have right. him to have this one moment that he can yeah. give him just before he passes away. And it worked out yeah. so beautiful. He wanted, wanted, wanted him to go in comfort and, uh, you know, feeling loved. That was the way that he felt that guy felt love. So yeah, absolutely. And I also thought it was interesting when you, when you heard his character and you also heard Miss Elliot say the same thing and it really still fits today how money and fame and how people have people that will cling to you and show up at your parties and stuff like that. But when things go downward or you lose that status, how suddenly they're just not there anymore or you yeah. don't bring anything to the party. Cause that's what happened to him. He stopped getting invited to things and he felt like, well, people yeah. used me to move up. And then now, now they won't return my calls. And then Miss Elliot says the same thing about the prince. Oh, a lot of these people just want her food and just want to show up at the parties. They don't really care about her. Yeah. And I think the line is uh, they ate my food and drank my wine and now they don't want anything to do with me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people are like that sometimes. <laughs> exactly. And I, I just thought that was interesting to show about how you go through mm -hmm. that life and who your true friends are. And then really you have people that you think are friends, but are they really your friend? And you can look at that right. with from Facebook, you know, people say, Oh, they're my Facebook friends, but are they really your friends? Some of them, some, <laughs> some of them. Yeah. I always heard that if you, at the end of your life, if you've ever had five good friends in your entire life, you're doing all right. You know? Yeah. And I, I, I sort of subscribe to that. I have friends. They're scattered all over uh, the planet, but uh, you know, five good ones. I don't know if I'm there yet, <laughs> but I'm trying it's hard to have people that it's hard to have those. I call them, you call them the good friends. I call them your, your, your close friends. The ones that are like your, okay. that inner sure. circle, the ones that, you know, yeah, you'll go, you'll do anything for them. They'll do anything for you. They'll, and all that stuff. And you could talk about anything. And then you got yeah. the group that goes beyond and beyond. It's almost like, you know, it has the ripple effect. And then you eventually yeah. get to acquaintances. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. That's, that seems to be the way it works. Yeah. So Facebook friends, yes, yeah, it's, it's a misnomer, but some of them are friends. Some of them are acquaintances. Blah blah blah. You know, it's all it's all <laughs> in that different levels. You know, it's it's how how what they are. Well, sure. Well, plus you know you can have good exchanges with people 
uh, like when you're visiting another state and you're there for a couple weeks and they're your friends and but it's not like having somebody really in your corner you know or it might be eventually I don't know everything's everything just kind of is in flux anyway so uh, go with it <laughs> you know you know there's not that many rules you know don't hurt people yep that's the big you know um try to feel what they're feeling um you know there's not that many rules the rest of it's all flexible <laughs> now during larry daryl's journey he does not speak wait i always wanted to talk about the bob newhart show the bob newhart the two show guys, the, <laughs> the three guys that are from the countryside are Larry, Daryl, and Daryl. Yes. I just wonder if it's a reference. I don't know. <laughs> you flummoxed me know. on that one. It, it, it could be. I, I've. <laughs> I just it's just one of those things that always occurs to me when I hear Larry Daryl. Anyway. Well, you have to, neither here nor there. <laughs> but but well, yeah, but and Larry Daryl's journey. He has a couple of mentors that show up for a scene or two. And, and and these actors are given some good dialogue and some good, and there's some good acting. And the first one I want to bring up is Costi Fritz Kortner. That, you know, that was when he was the minor. That was back when they were coming out of the mine. Thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. He's got a one great line in there that just always blows me away. Go for it. Uh, did you know I was an unfrocked priest? That's the one that got me, you know. Wow. Yeah, and I like you, you probably run into these guys too, you know. They're they're all gruff and dirty and they appear unintelligent, but that guy had he thought. There was, he was thinking all the time and uh, had really considered things in life. Uh, and he drinks to forget lots of things. But uh, yeah, great character. Really good one. Well, I love the part where he's talking about that I'm being pursued and you can see Larry's intrigued yeah. and he, and, but I can, I can never get away from my pursuer. It's always going to be there regardless of where I go. And of course, eventually he says it's God that's pursuing him. Yeah. And that's before he, yeah. he says the line, I'm an unfrocked priest. And, and yeah, but you could tell that these two had had a long, it's amazing how much in a five minute, I, I didn't time it, but it's about a five minute scene. How much information yeah. you can get about their past relationship because we do a time jump. We see we see Daryl coming, Larry Daryl coming out of the mining thing. So we know he's a miner now, and there he is. And the other guy you can see is looking for him. And it's like they, they has this table reserved. You know, like, oh, they come in, and he's talking about they're playing cards. And he goes, a lot of people don't play with me because they think I cheat. And he goes, yeah, they told me that too. But I've I've been yeah. watching you to try right. to learn. You're never going to learn. So you know, there's been a history of at least. A month or more, maybe, you know, a year, who knows how long, where these two have had right. this this great history. And it's all there in their performances and the dialogue. It's so wonderful. Yeah, it's put together really well. Um, I can't recall who the writer on the movie was, but uh, what an interesting thing is that Somerset Mom, the guy who wrote the novel, is a character in the movie. And he kind of helps us, uh, you know, he shows up all the time and, and uh, helps guide things pretty interesting and i think the guy who played him herbert marshall herbert marshall yeah great job i believe he was somerset mom i believe it yeah 
And and they basically yeah. the screenplay was by Lamar Trotti or Trotti, I guess, and yeah, Daryl okay. F. Zanuck, which was uncredited. Well, Zanuck, yeah. And of course, he was the producer, and he had his hands in editing um, and that kind of stuff. So he was so he was a producer. This is back when producers really were doing a lot of stuff, and directors knew that going in. When they were really making movies and not just pushing paper. <laughs> That's terrible. I shouldn't say that out loud. <laughs> oh, nobody's going to know. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but oh, so, so they wrote the screenplay, and it was just – I've never read the book, so it's, I'm curious to see how much of the book is there. Have you read the book? Yeah, it's okay. all there. It, they do a great job with it. Except, yeah, I have, I, have a, I have an old copy, actually. Yeah, good stuff. One of my favorites. And the book for listeners, it's the same name. It came out in 1944. And so you, so if you want to look it up and, and, you know, to read or whatever, you know, it's right there. It should be out there. Uh, and this, oh, yeah. I, I doubt it's been discontinued. It's probably in permanent print. <laughs> you know, so it's, you should be able to find it, you know, just do some searching and you'll be able to get the book. But yet Herbert, but Herbert Marshall plays... Somerset and Somerset is the narrator of the movie opens the movie and that kind of stuff. And I just love his even kill portrayal going through it. And he's also this character who seems to understand early on what Larry is attempting to do and is intrigued by it. And because they've met, he saw this is unseen, but he comes into the dialogue is I saw you in the library earlier reading. And I went out to lunch and I came back and there you were still reading. And he goes, I never went to lunch. I was still busy. He goes, for somebody to have that dedication, that, that to go through and to persevere, he knew he was dealing with somebody with a keen mind, a keen intellect and a a desire to learn and learn. And he was helping to foster it. And he understood the character and was trying to help other characters to understand him but he was never a lecturer. He was like, okay, that's the way you, you know, it, it was just basically like, you don't, yeah. you don't really get it, but okay, you want to go that way. It's he, he could see what was well, going to happen. Kind of, kind of like all writers, you know, they're kind of observers and chroniclers. And, uh, but he's, he was friends with Templeton. And I think that's, you know, that's why he was at the party in the beginning. And uh, that the interplay between uh, Somerset mom and Templeton and Larry is funny to me because Templeton doesn't want anything to do with him. He just thinks he's a waste. Larry's a waste of time. But here's Somerset Mom, who's probably, you know, he's an author. So he's been through hard times. He's been through all kinds of times. But Templeton is still a friend. But, of course, uh, Somerset Mom is now a published author. So Templeton can use that in his social circles. And that's kind of why he keeps him around, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) You know, he's our author. He's our writer he's our this or that you know that kind of thing of those little social circles you know and what that means that well what value there is in that i don't know except it gets you into more parties to meet more people <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it helps yeah. It helps open doors i guess or whatever but i don't know if i, I don't guess, know if some character really cares if the doors are open or not it's almost like eh, let me go here he and people watch so i can write books later yeah. on and he's kind of like Larry, you know, he's kind of like, well, it's, you know, I don't know. Let's, let's see what happens. Let's uh, live our lives. And while I'm in this situation, uh, let's observe stuff and see, see what we think. So, yeah. 
And Larry uh, deals with that by helping people, and Somerset Mon does it in his way by writing, and yeah, lots of things. <clears throat> yeah, it's really, really interesting all the way around for me. I, I just think it's a great movie. It's a really great book. And the other mentor, like I said, there's two big mentors in Larry's life that they show in the book, I mean, in the movie, The yeah. Holy Man, played by Cecil yeah. Humphreys. And um, that, you know, that's where, like you said, it, they say India, it, to me, it, I agree with you, I think it's probably Tibet, but, eh, you know, yeah. they, they're not that far apart compared to... No, like, yeah. no, they're right there. Yeah, same ideas, probably. <laughs> um, yeah, he's laid back, he's like, you know, not worried too worried about anything, and and peace and clear thinking seemed to be his uh, his whole whole thing. He wasn't all preachy and wasn't like oh, blah, 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 you know all this big pronouncements or what do you call it? I don't know oration. It was more like a one to one friendly exchange with very few words and just kind of peace. And what you can do. Pretty simple. And I love how you see both actors listening to what the other person is saying. You can just tell when they're acting that they are being active listeners to the dialogue, not just waiting to say their lines. And it really right. holds so much more truth to it, especially with their dialogue going back and forth. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. They're, and I've never seen that actor before. Uh, I don't think I've seen him since. Uh, but uh, really liked what he did with it. Yeah, really, really good. Uh, in the Bill Murray version, they they do a little uh, get a little deeper into what happens up in the cabin on the mountain um, to Larry Darrell. But uh, I thought they handled it better in this in the older movie. Yeah, I think you know? so. I think well, I haven't seen the Bill Murray one, like I said, but I've, yeah, I know you're able to get the idea about the inner part and it's inside the body. So it's, it's like, how are you going it, to, that's very hard to portray effectively what is going on in their mindset. And I think it's better to have with the Holy man when he came up to revisit him sometime later, how much time later, yeah. nobody knows. Uh, but, but at some time, but I love it. How costly. Yeah. I was like, costly was the one that pointed him to the Holy man. Cause he said, Oh, I met this Holy man, but did he help you? No, but, but it's not his fault. It was mine. It was Costi's yeah. fault, and, it, and but, you know, which is true. The whole thing. And if anybody's ever taken the time to go camping by themselves without anybody around or just go out in the woods and sit for half an hour without anybody around, you kind of get an idea of what, uh, what might have been going on up there with Larry. You know, I used to camp by myself all the time, and uh, really, yeah, it's amazing. I was in uh, Oklahoma and went and camped in this place. There was nobody around. Uh, it was great. Woke up the next morning. I was surrounded by bikers and they were, it was a Harley Davidson convention or something. They were having a wedding. If you've never been to a biker wedding, it's incredibly weird, but uh, they were the greatest people. They were, it was really great. It was so the weird things happen. <laughs> you know, that was, that's my weird camping by yourself uh, experience. <laughs> I did one when I was in college. Right. I was taking a mountaineering class. And one of the things yeah. we had to do, <clears throat> excuse me, was a solo camping thing. It was on, on one of the, the spring breaks. So for a week, I was in Shenandoah National Park solo camping. 
And you had you had a journal, you know, because you had to turn in like the, the information from your journal. You had to write it up into a okay. report so they know what, you, you know what you're thinking and that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's it's amazing because you mentally, how uh, when you're away from people, now you did run into some people as you're hiking from point A to point B, but it's not yeah. like you're talking to them; you just see them. So you do have some people you might run into on occasion on the weekend, but during the week, you're pretty much. All alone, <laughs> and, and and there's no noise. I mean, listeners, this is before cell phones, and if I had a cell phone, I wouldn't take. So I had no. You're just entertaining yourself mentally, or reading, and um, you know. So there's really there's nothing else going on. And when you're hiking, it's just you in nature, and it it really resets your brain, and it really affects you in a way I can't really explain it. But it was. I bet was your very... time sense changed too. I remember my time sense changing because I was probably alone for a week before the bikers showed up. But uh, days went by, started to go by a little faster. But I, and I was doing nothing. I was determined to just sit. Um, yeah, the, the time senses changes. Um, I don't know if you experienced that, but I did. Yeah, but like yeah, I said, it's interesting. I, I think it's hard to put it all. You know. It, for me, the, the the emotional, mental, spiritual experience—it's it's, kind of—it's—it's it's something I, you know, if, if people can do it, you should go do it. it, it you know, and of course, this has been going yeah. on since beginning of time. I think in civilizations where people just go on that walkabout, the the, the spiritual yeah. journey, well, whatever you want to call it, it still goes on, but it's Moses been going on forever. In the desert, you know, Moses all by himself in the desert. Look what happened to him. <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of stuff uh, throughout history. Um, you know, a uh, Buddha sitting under the, uh, the the tree, the Bodhi tree or whatever it's called. Um, yeah. Although you could probably do it at home, but it's just you've got comfortable things around you instead of having to be out in, like you said, out in nature and having to deal with it. What if it rains? You know, what if there is a snake? What do you do? <laughs> you know? And uh, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. Some people handle it. Some people get nervous. And some people get over their nervousness, you know, after three or four days, especially people who've lived in, in maybe a city for a long time. Um, maybe they, they relax a little. <laughs> we'll see. Exactly. And I think that that's the key thing is just you, you, you're going a different way. And, it, and that's what Larry Darrell was experiencing in the, the mountains, so to speak, you know, wherever they, wherever they were in India, Tibet, Wherever they were, yeah. he, he was up high. And I thought that was just, so I was able to relate to that going back to my past experiences. And I can see, again, what you brought up earlier, somebody in the college age range, this would affect a lot because that's a lot of people, or that's when you have those questions when they're teenagers, in their 20s, uh, and that kind of thing. But still, yeah, I mean, I still... Yeah. Kind of, kind of always doing that personal journey. I'm sure you are too. And it's just one of those things. Yeah, I am. It ends, it ends at the it, end. You know, it, does, it doesn't, and it doesn't stop. And that's a good thing. Cause if we all, if we knew everything, it wouldn't be very interesting, <laughs> you know? Uh, so, so it's good that there's, there's always stuff to uh, wonder about, think about, mm -hmm. and, and yeah. maybe not make that many decisions on. And yeah. And one of my main reasons to do the interviews, besides what I talked about earlier, was to record stuff. Is I yeah. like meeting and talking to different people. This goes back to when I was a red, teaching Red Cross instructing classes. I used to teach 200, 250 classes a year at different businesses oh, wow. and communities. And so I'm encountering all walks of life. 
of people. And as you said with the Costy character, how some people will say, oh, this place, those people are going to be this way. I had other instructors tell me, oh, if you go there, they're going to be like this and this. They already prejudged them based on location and occupation. Yeah. And I would go there, and I would always never attempt to do that. Now, if I'd been at the place before and was teaching the same people again, I kind of then know this person is kind of like this. But I had that actual physical experience. But when I would go to a place for new, I'd always assume they're my typical student until I find out otherwise. And then I would adapt my teaching strategy to whatever, you know, and, and you, sometimes you that's get a, being a good teacher. Group. Yeah. Yeah. That's being a good teacher. Uh, Cause it depends on who's saying it and how it's said is the way that the student is getting, getting what they need from you, from you. So yeah. Yeah. My degrees in music education. So I taught for a few years and yeah, there's all kinds of interesting things going on between teachers and students. So, uh, you're describing it perfectly, yeah. And that's of a good teacher, being a good teacher. Oh, thank you. Because everybody needs something different. And that, and the hardest thing is, what well, I think different than what well, the high school, high school teacher, like my wife was a high school teacher, now she's a librarian. When you're dealing with the, the beginning of the semester, you don't know. You're learning about how, how these people, how your students are going to react. But after a few weeks, you're starting to get a good read on the group. And sometimes you can make a false reading and then you learn as, as things progress. That's just the way. And they're changing. Goes. Yeah. And the kids are changing too. So yeah, especially if you've if ever taught junior high, uh, that's a big time of big changes. So they could be one way on Monday and another way on Thursday. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. In my thing, my case, most of the time I was teaching people one time, you know, that one day, unless I, unless I taught them again when they, when they need to refresh or renew the class, <laughs> That kind of stuff. So yeah. you have to make these decisions and figure out things. Literacy, English second language, uh, background oh, information. Yeah. You got to figure it out quick and fast so you know how to adapt. And it's just, um, it, it made it interesting. But there's so much I learned during breaks and we would have conversations before class started. We'd talk about different things. And it's, it's amazing how much wisdom, collective wisdom is out there. And also, some people, there was a lot of collective stupidity. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's for sure. <laughs> so I think you see it all, yeah. but you see it all. And that's why when certain things happen, it's like, sometimes I'm surprised, but I'm literally not surprised. Cause after doing that for over 20 years, I'm like, yeah, I kind of know where, you know, people are people and that's just the way it's yeah. going to go. And you just, but you, but you learn when you learn from them, which I think this movie tries to portray, learn what their needs are and what to do. You can be a more helpful human to him because Daryl's character learned well, like, um, what a lot of these characters where, needed. When, when uh, they learned that Sophie had been killed and uh, Larry and Isabel are talking and she knows in her heart that she was the one that killed her, Larry never comes out and accuses her. She says, you know, well, who killed her? And he says, I know who killed her. But he doesn't say, you killed her. You know, and so he was... Knowing Isabel, if he had done that, she would have heard that as an accusation and reacted in a certain way. But giving her that little seed of something to think about would determine her thinking in a completely different way. And I think that that, that was a way of helping her actually realize that she was the one. Her actions are what killed Isabel. I mean, killed uh, Sophie. Sophie. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the helping people thing. Yeah, if they want to be helped and you know what to do, then 
Why not? <laughs> and, and that's what Larry said you know? with um with um Gray's character. Like it, it, it's all yeah. up to him. You know, I could put the path, and if they choose to do it, he Sophie he was he had a path set up, and for a variety of reasons, which we already talked about, she deviated from it. We'll never yeah. know if she would have been able to keep to the one path if it wasn't for the temptation that was set up by Isabel's character and the and the schemes that were set up against yeah. her. Because it's hard to tell. And if she'd be if she could ever take it over on her own without Larry. I mean, would she forever be dependent on Larry and or would she eventually be able to do it herself? That's a tough one. I don't know. You know. I don't, don't know, know either. I don't know either. But it was it was But Larry Larry was willing to uh stick it out. He'd be willing to stay with her as long as she wanted to stay with him. So yeah, that's interesting. Now one of the things this movie was nominated for multiple Oscars. And one of the Oscars it was nominated for was Art Best Art Direction Black and White. And of course which is set design nowadays. And so what did you think of the sets? Because these sets to me were were wonderfully done because they showed a lot of different, lot of different locations. The uh, American Society stuff, which was in Chicago, you wonder what that thing is in the background. It's not an ocean. That's like Lake Michigan. And I've been on some of, in some of those houses over there, um, and they have lawns and fences, and then there's Lake Michigan out there. I thought that was done really well. Um, they all look like that, um, and you could tell it was a smaller set because actually in real life those things are gigantic it's a deeper thing but uh uh i thought that was done really well the uh, contrast in costumes uh, was good the lighting was good the uh up when we're up in india or tibet i thought uh, all the shadows were done really well i just i and everybody's hair and, and makeup there wasn't any glaring terribleness um i thought the clothing was good yeah, I like I liked it. I just I thought they did a really good job. It doesn't distract and it enhances and it's really really good and not noticeable unless you're thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I agree with you because they were going for. I mean, you're talking they're in Paris. They're in other parts of Paris, like multiple different locations in Paris. They're yeah. and there are multiple places in Chicago. Um, so there there's mm-hmm. so, they have tons and tons of sets and, and locations going on. And they pulled it off really well. But I thought yeah. it was interesting. And I was noticing this, I think on the second or third part, it was no, it was the it was the last night the two of them were together. Isabel and Larry's character were really together as before they, they totally separated as a couple. And they were going from restaurant to party. I thought it was it was a great, interesting choice by the director and the cinematographer. To start every one of those scenes, you did not focus on Isabel and Larry. It was they were focusing on other people and lingering as they moved through either the restaurant, the party, until you found where they were at. And the and you yeah you they, you could feel that it was a different place, and these are the type of people who are there and the type of place it is. And then they put them in the setting. Yeah, really nice. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was excellently done. And then also, but the the sea their reactions to each other. You can just tell that it was over. Like here's a couple that's together and it's over. And yeah. And it, it, it was just that the, at least from Larry's character, I just felt like he was just, he was thinking of other things as he knew it was done. Um, yeah. That they were going he had to, other things to do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And maybe the he one wasn't going to give up for anything. I mean, his friend got blown up in front of him to save his life. 
you know, and that uh, is amazing. Um, and that's what he was, he, so he was determined. He was determined to try to figure some stuff out. Um, yeah. So, but I don't think people need a big trauma like that to do that. Maybe it just took that to jar him out of whatever path he was on so that he could actually start thinking about stuff. I don't think everybody needs a tragedy or a terrible childhood or something like that to fight against to uh, start exploring like this. I think you can do it just if you decide, well, you know, everything's great, but there's got to be more to this. <laughs> you know, just just start. As I said, a question everybody's been discussing since the beginning of civilizations, and we'll be discussing to the end, and nobody will ever find the final answer. I don't think there is an answer. Um, I really don't. I think uh, it's more about if you if you don't have a direction, you should maybe think about helping people. If you do have a direction, what's what's the right way? What is uh, Let's explore some things, you know, with compassion and, uh, you know, open-mindedness. Not so open that your brains fall out, blah, 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 but, you know. Um, yeah, but, but if you don't have a path, uh, like, um, then maybe helping people might be a good start. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but start. It's like I've been in front of students <clears throat> And they say, how did you get into music, blah, 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 blah. And I said, I just started. You just start. You make all kinds of mistakes and just start. Uh, get a pencil and piece of paper and start trying to make notes, even if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, you'll and stick with it. You'll figure it out. You know, just start. But a lot of people just don't start. <laughs> don't be afraid to fail. Fail, fail, fail. You're going to learn stuff. So... Just start a podcast and eventually just you get start. better. Yeah, Just get going. Yeah. And look, <laughs> you're, you're talking to Loretta Sweat. Did you ever think that would happen? You know? Yeah. I didn't get her wow. on the podcast, but I got to talk to her in person. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. But would that ever have happened? You know, if I hadn't started doing this, I wouldn't have had half the experiences I've had. So it's amazing. Yeah. Just, just go for it. You can't make, can't really make a permanent mistake. <laughs> Unless, you know, then it's over. So just just try. My thing is, is if you try, if you don't try, then then years later, you're always going to say, well, what if I would have? Yeah, and then exactly. I didn't want to end up being Haiti and think, well, what if I had done that? You know, so, yeah. Can't go back in Absolutely. time. You can only go forward. So it's, you might as well just, just go for it. And if it doesn't work out. Well, hey, it doesn't work out. Doesn't work out. Yeah. You know, if you want, if you're still interested in doing it, you can revise and retool and or learn. Or you actually, can if it, yeah, it's not a, it's not like it works out or it doesn't work out. It's like on the way to working it out, some other things may come up, and you go in a different direction, you know, or things change. So, it's a lot of I know, especially a lot of parents think, um, it's you're either going to make it or you're not. But it's, you know, I'm talking to younger people now. It's really not about that. It's like trying to do what you want to do, and then you'll find out on the way maybe things will change. Maybe it'll be better, you know. Maybe you'll crash and burn, but you just pick yourself up and start over. It also, Why not? It also goes to your, what you define your definition of what's making it. You know, everybody's definition is going to be different, and that's the thing. You have to find right. out what is yeah. what is your definition. Obviously, Isabel's character's definition of making it was materialistic, and La and Larry's yeah. answer of making it is something 
180 degrees different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, maybe doing it is more important than making it. You know, maybe there's not an end goal. Maybe it's the doing that is that matters, and it leads to all sorts of people and places and things that you maybe wouldn't have imagined. And it's true. It's just, it's so true. Just everybody <clears throat> should just think about, well, what do I really want to do? And just start and see what happens. So you prescribe to the journey is more important than the destination. Well, yeah, I think, like I was saying, uh, I don't think people are looking for a meaning for life. I think they're looking for an experience of being alive and that's exploring, mm-hmm. you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's taking a, taking a look at things and saying, well, let's try this. <clears throat> and then, Oh, I don't like that. So I'm not going to do that anymore. And <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Um, yeah. And listeners, I said there it had multiple Academy Award nominations. It was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Supporting Actress, winning for Best Supporting Actress for Ann Baxter. And the the Best Supporting Actor was Clifton Webb. And both Clifton Webb and Ann Baxter both won the Golden Globes for their respective categories that year. Oh, that's great. So nice to hear. Didn't know that. So what did you think of... It's Ann Baxter's performance as Sophie, you know, because that was the one that brought home the Oscar that year. I thought it was great, and I know people like that, and I've never been able to figure them out. I know they've had a big hurt. I mean, like Larry had a huge hurt, but it sent him in a different direction. Sophie had a huge hurt, but it really drove her inside and to where she just couldn't get out of the sadness, couldn't get out of the the horror of it. Um. I guess with Larry, it's the war. So you figure things like that are going to happen. But when it's a, it was a car accident that killed Sophie's husband and uh, baby, Linda, I think, is the baby. It's just a, a totally random. It's not as random as, it's not like the same randomness as war, where there's kind of a reason that, oh, we're fighting. But the car accident, especially it was a car full of drunks. That's, that's the other thing. I had remembered it wrong. I thought she, they were drunk as they were driving. But when I saw the movie yesterday, they got hit by drunk drivers, a drunk driver. Um, that might have had something to do with it. She's trying to identify with them and, and see what they were thinking. I mean, not consciously, but just kind of, I don't know. But she had the potential to, to be an addict and got into alcohol and then had her problems. Um I, and I can't figure out, I can't figure those people out. It, it's just got to be a chemical thing, an attraction to the chemical. And it starts some kind of cyclical pattern of desire that they can't shake. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've had friends die from drinking too much. And it, and I've had uh, uh, people that are dealing with it. And it seems like they have to bottom out at some point and make a decision. Are they going to die or are they going to fight it and try to live? <clears throat> and uh, it's a tough one. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever had a problem with alcohol. I, I drink it, but I can put it down. So people just don't be, seem to be able to. So I thought she did great because I know those people. Well, I, I know people like that. But I know people like Isabel, not so much Isabel. Those are individuals that I stay away from. <laughs> but uh, like Gray, Gray Maturin, uh, yeah, I know those guys. Um, 
And I've run into people like uh, Clifton Webb's character, Templeton. Yeah, they're out there. They're hilarious. But sometimes they're really awful to deal with. But, uh, yeah, I thought Sophie did a great job. Uh, the act- And Baxter did a great job as that person. She probably, all I could think was she knows somebody like this. She said her favorite performance acting was the scene in the hospital where she felt she did her best job. Where she, really? Yeah, because she had, she, if I remember reading correctly, she channeled remembrances of one one of her siblings died when she was young and used that to get her in the emotional state that she needed to have that performance go through it. Mm-hmm. And, and, it's, and it's been reported that she said that was her favorite um, uh, part, you know, like whatever, or favorite scene. And in, in the thing, yeah. so and she's had and she's had a had a long career. I mean, in multiple multiple right. well known movies, and I'm, unlike other podcasts, I'm not going to go over name every single movie. You know, people can you know Google her <laughs> okay. and, and look, it, look up. it up. <laughs> we have Wikipedia and IMDb, <laughs> which are most of the time correct. <laughs> uh, yeah, most of the time, you never know. Yeah, I've interviewed some people where I said, "Oh," and it's like, "No, I didn't do that." It's like, "Up." Oh, IMDb was wrong there. <laughs> yeah. You never know. You never know. You never know. But yeah, Clifton Webb was so deserving of the Golden <laughs> Globe and stuff. He just definitely did an excellent, excellent job in his performance. He really did. He was just like one of those guys. Yeah. Uh, I have a friend. I'm not going to name any names, but I have a friend who was sort of like that. He still, he's not as bad as he, as he was, but boy, when I first met him, he was just like that. But, you know, uh, he mellowed over time. Unlike Templeton, who was that way to the very end. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, very interesting. And so well done. Made me laugh. Just made me laugh. And he's not really a funny character. It's just, he's so ridiculous that you can't help but just kind of laugh. <laughs> you know, but it, it's a lonely, you think about it, he must have been a lonely guy, really lonely because he kind of put all these barriers up that are social and uh, kind of had to live within his own head there. I don't know. Oh, I agree with you. Yeah, he had to put barriers up and do different things. But whatever, it was an interesting character, you know, an interesting portrayal, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed yeah. that you picked this movie, you know, for us to talk oh, about. Good. And I hope listeners will go and seek it out. And Yeah, I hope so too, especially if you're – 30 or younger, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's available on DVD. I don't know if it's available on Blu-ray. I know it's available on DVD, and it's it's available streaming, you know, for a, a nominal rental fee. Yeah. Yeah, it's on Amazon. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's a few bucks. You can you can watch it, enjoy it. Um, I think the DVD is – there's a couple different ones I saw out there that sites there. It's like you're talking – 15 to 20 dollars you know so it's oh yeah i i bought mine a long time ago i like to have hard copies so i did buy a dvd i considered buying a blu-ray but uh <clears throat> haven't i don't think i've gone through gone gone there and done it yet uh yeah and remember it's not the bill murray one <laughs> it's the uh it's it's four bucks it's 3.99 to rent the uh this guy, the, the old one, the one we're talking 1946, about. 1946, the one with Tyrone Power. 
Tyrone Power, three ninety nine on uh, on Amazon. Yeah, like I said, Man. it's a nominal fee. It's not much, you know. So you can rent it. No, it's not much at all. And if you want to own it digitally, I think it's like ten dollars to own it digitally. Yeah, and then about ten bucks. Yeah, but I, I, I like you. I, I like, like to have the physical copy. Um, I do too. I do too. Some movies I have physical copies and a digital copy. <laughs> Because sometimes I just want to be in front of the, the screen and just click it and have it happen and then happen to get the disc and all this stuff. <laughs> well, I do I do like that it. also. It's like if I, if I buy a Blu-ray and it says comes with digital copy, it's like, oh, perfect. Yeah. Because of, of, a lot of times I'm on the road and um, that way oh. I can just watch it wherever I'm at, like you said. And it's just like, oh, I can be that. It's a nice way to pass the time and, and, and yeah. have that fun. Sure. And for yeah. people to remember, you can go to your – Website, ReberClark.com, or they can go to ReberClark.BandCamp. I think it's .com, right? Com. Yeah, com. .com, yeah. which will be in the show notes, and you can purchase Reber's work either digitally or mm-hmm. some things are still available on CD, and you can get them and have yeah. your hard copy. And if you put in request, Reber will sign it for you and that kind of stuff, so you can get an yes, autographed version. And it's always a struggle with the dark covers uh to get the right pen. So like, I think on yours, when I signed it, I'm not sure you can read my signature. I tried to use a silver pen and I'm not sure it worked, but I hope it did. <laughs> I could read it. I mean, I, I, I know okay. it's your signature as to whether I can oh. read it. That's a different story. You, get, you have a well, doctor's handwriting. Yeah, I always got, <laughs> I got D minuses in handwriting my entire life in school. They don't even grade handwriting anymore, probably. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, say, the signature is the signature is there. The <laughs> signature is, I know it's you. It's as, okay. as for, is it legible to be? Re- that's yeah. the, the, that's the, the, we can talk about that another day. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's not, yeah. It's crazy. So uh, yeah, you can listen to everything on Bandcamp.com for free. You can listen to the entire track, the entire album, whatever for free. And then if you want to buy a digital copy or a hard copy, uh, some some have CDs, some don't. Usually the Feature-length movies, I offer the soundtrack on a CD. The shorter things, it's usually just a download. So, well, I'm looking forward to more of your work. And Reber, again, thank you thanks. so much for joining me for this discussion sure. on the Razor's Edge. You're welcome. I had a great time talking about it. I'm glad you liked it. Hope everybody enjoyed the episode. And I just want to remind everybody, as Reber and I were talking about, the Innsmouth School for Girls, the latest movie from Joshua Kennedy with sound by Reber Clark is out. So you feel free to go seek it out. You can get a physical copy at oldies.com or you can stream it. Um, We're going to hear the trailer for it in just a second. But I just want to remind everybody also that please send us feedback at diecastmoviepodcast at gmail.com or leave us a message on our Facebook page. And I hope everybody has a great day. And now to the trailer for the Innsmouth School for Girls. Remember the fun you had in school? Remember the camaraderie you felt amongst your friends and peers? Remember the pranks you used to pull? Remember the cafeteria food? Remember your teachers, the good and the bad? Remember the fish people? Oh, no! 